Uh, hello, my name is Yaha, and I'm one who drinks too much. Uh, oh my gosh, 10 minutes? I'm going to speed run this shit. I swear too much. I'm definitely an alcoholic, and I'm also dual diagnosis, fucking mentally ill. You name it, I'm there. Fucking, all right, long story turned to short. Uh, damn, I was... Born and raised in California. I was adopted. I always like to include that. Um, I My mom was like, yo, my child's not like the other children. What the fuck is up? And that ended up with me going to doctors for multiple years. And they're like, oh, yeah, your kid is fucked up. Here's some medications. And I became a lab rat for Kaiser Permanente. Gotta love Kaiser. And... Uh, you know, down the line, that just, that ended bad, let me tell you that. But uh, to sum up most of my life, for the past, for 23 years of my life, I was a liar, I was a cheater, I was a horrible human being to others, Um, I made some really bad choices, fucking big time canceled for those poor choices, right? And uh, I fucking loved alcohol, I fucking was introduced to punk rock at a young age. Uh, I fell in love with bulls. I could drink, look stupid, piss myself, vomit, and not care. I'm there. I'm game. And you know what's not punk rock? I always like sharing this part. It's it's not punk rock to be rolling in my own vomit and be covered in piss and shit. Like, that followed me for such a long time. And, um, you know, someone I love dearly kind of called me out on that shit you know at this point like I was working at a venue um being security and also doing the pizza work up in there and like taking advantage of the alcohol we had access to yada 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 and they're like you're an alcoholic and I was like what fuck no and the night before well I had done too much and that day they're calling me out on being an alcoholic I was like shaking sweating and thinking i was gonna shit myself like i am now uh <laughs> like i work on this program i'm not gonna lie <laughs> fucking uh and they they're like we're going to an aa meeting and i was like fuck now and they're like you can't really get out of this one i'm like okay also my internet's fucked up i'm so sorry um and yeah they dragged my ass to an aa meeting <laughs> and it's fucking sucked <laughs> i fucking hated it they made my ass fucking climb to the top of a a skate ramp that would him just it wasn't it and i sat through that fucking meeting hearing god shit this and that and you know i think you'll hear that in a lot of people share being like ah like i heard them talk about god this and that and like fuck that yeah that me too that shit sucked and you know that same person i saw them again down the line and they're like we're going to another meeting and i was like fuck dude and i couldn't get out of it and we went and i was like fuck this shit this shit sucks but um, to rest in peace, uh, our friend Laura Live. But uh, that person made that made that meeting a little fun. Their shit talking. I was like, oh my god, why are you talking during the meeting? Why are you yelling? <laughs> like, and um, so I try and bring that energy to meetings now these days. Anyway, fucking even further down the line, I've lost. I'm like speed running through this. I lost like all my friends. And people who I was, like, chosen family and whatnot. And I'm living in a fucking warehouse in Oakland. And 
you know, I wasn't going to shows anymore. Nobody fucking liked me. Like, I was a turd. I was a piece of shit. And, like, I pulled geographics. I had my suicide attempts years before in high school, too. You know, and it was just, like, a broken fucking record. And at this point, I'm in this warehouse working a cannabis job. And something hit to where I, I hollered at, like, the only friend I had at the time being like, hey, can you, like, can you take me? to an AA meeting and like kick it with me during that they're like yeah dude like let's fucking go and so my first own meeting was like at the Rockridge Fellowship in Piedmont or whatever the fuck and afterwards some lady was like I I have a meeting for you you might fucking like more I was like okay bet and she told me about the late show in downtown Oakland and we went that same night and you know I was smoking weed at this point and drinking and I was like I, I kind of want to give this a go and so I kept going on my own for the next few nights and then I was like oh they say to like grab a sponsor so I'm gonna I'm try this and I grab a sponsor and I let them know I'm smoking weed and I'm saying it helps with all this shit and it, well that wasn't true right I was full of shit at the time and the person still worked with me and uh you know what I had a surgery and we were doing some step work she called me out on getting high and yeah, I fell out. I had my surgery and fell out. <laughs> Went back to drinking, smoking cigarettes and smoking weed. Come back eight months later and I'm like, I'm going to try this again. But I was still smoking weed. And then I fell out again. I, I like got dumped by a girl. It wasn't wasn't good to have a relationship in the beginning of my sobriety. I made it to like two months, I think. And I was back out in the world until finally at this cannabis job, you know, I've been drinking again, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My socks, underwear, and pants could stand on their own because they were covered in shit and smelled horrible. And, like, my deodorant stick and my Febreze, I'm so sorry to my armpits and the deodorant stick, but, like, I thought that would cover up my nasty crotch smell. It did not. It fucking did not. And I did it on my underwear, too. Like, <laughs> like really thinking about it, it looks fucking nasty. And I'm not doing that now, thank God. Fucking, I'm still gross, though. Um... At this job, our boss is like, here's some edibles. Don't eat them. Wink. I can't wink. Uh, and I just downed them all. All of us downed our edibles. And like, it hits, right? I am high as shit. And I was like, I, I like, this feels great right now. But also like looking at my life, it's not great. <laughs> like, I don't want this shit anymore. Like, I really want to stop. And so me, high as shit, go to 10 p.m. late show. And I grabbed my old sponsor. I'm like, let's try this again. Like I, I'm cold turkey, fucking everything. And they're like, okay, fuck it, yeah, let's go, dude. And so, so, so that happened. I cold turkeyed. I handed all of my shit to my coworker. And I'm like, I'm trying this. And they all supported me, which is hella sick. And I still managed to work in this cannabis warehouse and like not get into that shit. I have two minutes. Uh, how do I sum this up quickly? That me and that sponsor, I found someone else. So I dumped my sponsor. By the way, if you, if you want to like dump your sponsor, it's okay. Call them up and be like, thank you so much for everything you've like taught me and done with me. I'm we're, we're done. We over. Just literally dump them. It's okay. It's fine. And I grabbed another sponsor right after dumping this other cool one. Well, I ended up relapsing on non-alcoholic beer. And the sponsor before said, non-alcoholic beer is for fucking non-alcoholics. That shit don't fly. I got drunk off a non-alcoholic beer. 
And so that's my last time drinking. It's November 17th of 2019. I'm like, this, whenever November comes by again, I'll have four fucking years. And that's sick. Because now, like, that person dumped me as a sponsor, and then I was dry, and then I went back to my old sponsor. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry for dumping you. Will you take me back? And they're like, fuck yeah. And now now I'm on step nine, right? Like, I'm out here checking in with them being like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this person on my men's. This is what I've written down. This is all this shit. And they're like, okay, all right, you ready? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, all right, go about it. Go about it. So that's cool. I'm working. I'm, I moved to Oregon and I moved back. I had all this crazy shit happen. You know, I've had some really close calls. And uh, I've just come to terms that like, no matter what the fuck happens, I'm not. I'm not going to go back to like who I used to be and continue to become who I'm meant to be. Right. Cause now I'm at a job. I love very much. There's some resentments there. I got to work on them. Right. But that's this job is the dream job. I'm like, okay, a step below the dream job. Cause it's going to lead me to working for national parks. I'll get the decolonize and continue helping this land and protecting it. And, uh, you know, that's really cool. Like that's something I've gained in sobriety. And another thing is like I've gotten to be of service to so many fucking people. Like I get the run late show again for the millionth time now online. Thursday fucking nights, keeping it zesty, bringing the energy, bringing the attraction, not the fucking promotion to this program. Because you go to AA meetings, that shit's so fucking boring. I'm not gonna fucking lie. So I try and make the meetings I run and be of service by making AA really fun and exciting and wild. Cause that's it's sobriety. There are ups and downs, but goddamn, I want you to have an up when you come to a fucking meeting. I don't want to be another down for you. Right. And I hope I can like give that to many people as I can. And you know what? If I can't do that, if they don't like the swearing and the cussing or whatever, it's okay. There are other meetings. You can hear other people be of service and hear other people share and for instance, if you didn't hear anything from my fucking share, I'm sorry. I love you. There's some really cool meetings out there where someone probably has something really cool to say and you could gain from. And uh, also, welcome to the newcomers. This shit's so scary at first, but like, damn, you just just fight that shit. This shit's gonna like, it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. It's hard work but it's fucking worth it. It just like, people say one day at a time. Fucking for me, it's one second at a time, God damn it. Like even a fucking millisecond. Like get those fucking numbers, talk to people, fucking like, I don't know if you're you're at that point where you're able to pray, fucking pray, dog. Just go out and do some shit. Really just hit a meeting if you can't pick up that phone or anything else. Just go to those fucking meetings. That shit is going to come through and it pays off in the end. So yeah, my name's Joha. I drink way too much, or used to. And uh, thank you for your time and letting me be two minutes over. Tony with alcoholic. Thank you, Yaha. Shit, so many similarities. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love your share. Thank you so much. And I too didn't get sober not to have fun. Um, I had a, a early sponsor or uh, drug treatment counselor tell me, that she did not get sober so that not to have fun. She said that if she, if she wasn't having fun, then she might as well drink. 
<clears throat> and you know, it even says in our literature, we're not a blum lot. So anyway, I have a sobriety date. It's January 6th, 1993. I just recently celebrated 30 years of continuous sobriety and, uh, it's nothing short of a miracle folks. I got to tell you, like, I, I'm, uh, I'm really fucking blown away. Like I don't even, well, I, it clearly wasn't me. Like it was clearly a higher power, a loving higher power acting in my life. Um, so what it was like, uh, what happened and, and what it's like now, that's the general format that I've been taught to use in um, Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, I grew up in a small town, uh, two regular parents, I guess they wouldn't have made the cover of parenting magazine. They weren't the best or the worst parents, but um, I was prescribed early on uh, Ritalin, Deceptamine, Amipramine, and Dexedrine as a child because I couldn't control myself. I had, yeah, right, right. Fucking ADHD crew up in this bitch. Uh, I could not keep my hands to myself. I could, I had this thing, urge act. So I would have a thought and then do it. And there was no, it, you know, secondary thought like, oh, if I do this, I could get in trouble or, you know. So, which, you know, uh, did not help me with alcohol. <laughs> when I did find it, um, it did not help me with drugs or alcohol. Drugs are a part of my story. Uh, so, um, and also too, like, if you don't hear what you need to hear in this meeting tonight, please go to another meeting. I'm, I'm not a spokesperson for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is just my experience, strength and hope. Um, and so, so, so I grew up in that small town and, and there wasn't really much to do except drink and hurt people and get hurt and like, you know, do brodies and like go to shows in the cornfields and shit and like beat the shit out of each other and shoot each other with BB guns and rob people and go to juvie and um so like the first time i had a a real run-in like my family was kind of like done with my behavior they locked me up in a psych ward for 11 weeks uh i was i think 12 years old and you know when i got out they were like uh you know you're gonna stop drinking yes i promise like you know with and without a solemn oath we read that in the beginning of the, the meeting right and it was with a solemn oath, I will never touch alcohol ever again. I promise, for God and country. You know, not not like that, but like really, you know, I I really meant it. I really mean this. That very night, I was off. I'd run away and was hanging out with my bros, and we were fucking getting shit housed. And uh, I knew, like from Jump Street, when I first found alcohol, that there was a problem because. Um, none of my other friends were really like guzzling their forties. I was guzzling mine. I knew that like the quicker I got it in me, the effect would kick in. And that's what I drank for the effect. Um, I never understood people who like sipped their alcohol or like drink for flavor. Like I'm like, no, I want to be in a fucking blackout. Like let's, let's fucking blotto the shit out of this. Like, let's go. Um, and uh and pretty soon people didn't want to drink with me anymore um and we got in enough trouble where people's parents didn't want me around and pretty soon my parents didn't want me around and uh i got kicked out of my fucking house and left in juvenile hall uh there was a second uh hospitalization behind a suicide attempt i think i was like 14 or 15 and then the final suicide attempt because i was you know drinking and alcohol is a depressant you know and at the end i wasn't even allowed in the house like i got kicked out of my mom's house and i was living with my biological father who i didn't really have a relationship with anyway 
Um, you know, like I, I had grown up with my mom and my stepdad and then they had my two sisters. And then when, when I got so far out of like fucking my alcoholism was like off the chain, they were like, okay, he's got to go. Like this, this just one thing isn't like the others. This, this is the thing that's got to go. Um, and I ended up staying with my biological father. And like I said, I, you know, I, I grew up, he would come by like every two years, maybe park outside the house with a birthday present, you know, or a Christmas present. We'd sit outside in the car and he wasn't allowed in the house. And we didn't really, we just didn't have a relationship. So now I'm living with dude, but his new wife uh, is not a fan of yours truly. So, you know, I'm fucking drinking, using, and uh, my he's got a daughter, a new daughter. <clears throat> and uh, she's like in and out of my room, digging through my shit. And I'm like screaming at her. I'm like, you know, fucking abusing her. And I was abusing my other sisters and like, just being a fucking terror essentially. And um, they put me in a tent in the backyard. They're like, you, you live in this tent now. You're not allowed to come in the house. If you have to use the restroom, you knock on the glass. So one of us will let you in. We'll walk you to the bathroom and we'll walk you back outside. Um, and that was pretty much the last year of my drinking and using. Um, and I got really depressed and I was in a really, really fucking dark place. I quit going to school. So I, by that point I'd been kicked out of regular high school. I wasn't going to regular high school anymore. I got kicked out my sophomore year. And was made to go to continuation school. Um, and, and up to this point, like I had been shuffled around from like my aunt's house to my grandmother's house, from my grandmother's house, back to my dad's house, um, from my dad's house to a group home that, you know, just moved around because like I was just, you know, squeaky wheel and uh, very, very fucking depressed. Like I was so, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to be really fucking dramatic. And like if I have a feeling that that's it. That's the end of the world. I'll just kill myself. And that was a big joke between me, me and one of my friends who, who are sober now. Uh, that was like the joke betwixt us. Whenever things would get hard, like in early sobriety, we'd be like, I'll just kill myself. <laughs> and we would laugh about it. Like, how's this going? How's this going? Oh, I'm doing job search, blah, blah, blah. This is this. I have to do a fourth and fifth step and I don't really want to do the step work. I think I'll just kill myself. You know, so like, <laughs> it was hilarious. We're living, but I mean, you know, alcoholics are dramatic. We are dramatic. I am dramatic. Um, and in the beginning of my sobriety, everything was a crisis. Like, oh my gosh. Like everything was a fucking crisis. And uh, I didn't know how to have fun. Right. So uh, what happened was um, I got locked up for the last time in the psych ward. I had a bomb. I was going to blow myself up. And uh, the bomb squad came. My dad was pissed. Like everybody was fucking they're like, that's it. You're done, bro. You're fucking done. And uh, I was in this hospital for um, a month and a half and my insurance ran out. I was 17. And uh, they said, you're going to have to call. You're going to have to call someplace to go. You got to go live somewhere because uh, you can't stay here. Your insurance is running out. And I was like, fuck, okay. Well, I called my mom and she had left me in jail when I was 13 and was like, don't ever talk to me again. You're dead to me. Like, what did she say? I don't love you. You don't love me. I'm not your mother. You're not my son. I don't know who you are. Don't ever contact me again. You're dead to me. You know, left me in jail. So uh, I couldn't call her. And I tried to call my stepdad. They didn't pick up. Call my grandparents. They didn't pick up. My aunts and uncles were like, you need to go to Napa. You need to just go to a fucking psych ward for the rest of your life. Like, you know, because, you know, I had alcoholism but i also had like a severe like impulse control problem you know um and i think that the alcoholism was like you know that was really my issue but like this other thing wasn't helping me and um and so 
what happened was I was in the psych ward and I'm calling people and finally my insurance ran out and they're like, well, you know, sorry, no dice. You got to go back to juvie. We're just going to remand you to your county's custody. And uh, I thought that was really fucked up because I wasn't you're like, you're just going to stay in juvie until you're 18 and then you're, you'll get OR. You can go live. You'll be homeless. And, uh, or whatever, like you can go to a halfway house or something. And I was like, this is fucked up. So I go to juvie, I'm there. And this guy, uh, I forget what his name was. I can never, Jeff, is Jeff something? Uh, God damn it. Bless his soul. This guy saved my life. Like my handy God. He came and he came to my cell and he says, Hey, listen, I read your file. I, uh, it doesn't look like you ever really had a chance at, at like life. So I, you know, people say, I want to offer you a second chance at life. You, you never really had a first one. So I want to offer you a first chance at life. And, uh, somehow I heard that somehow that made sense to me. And I was like, dude, this guy's fucking he's talking real shit. Dude, this is real shit. And, uh, I said, what do I got to do? Like you, this, this was actually my first step at Alcoholics Anonymous. I admitted my life was unmanageable. Alcohol. I cannot drink to good effect. I cannot do what I want to do to good effect. I cannot live according to Tony's law. Like the law, the rules don't apply to me. I'm special. I cannot do that to good effect. Like alcoholism, I self and me doesn't work. It doesn't, I can't, when I'm living on my will, my self will run, run it, riot. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I have to have, you know, what we find in step two and three, uh, as a barometer for, you know, guidance in my brain, you know, what am I doing? What am I thinking? Uh, so in that first step, he took me back to treatment. I said, what am I going to do? And he says, well, first you got to, you got to commit, you got to promise not to get high. Can you do that? I said, yeah, dude, I'll do, I'll stay sober, whatever you want me to do. Right. He says, you got to not fight. You can't put your hands on people. And I was like, okay, I promise I won't fight. And he's like, no matter what, because people are going to test you. This is a real, this is a safe environment I'm taking you to. And people are going to push your buttons and you're going to want to fight them. And I was like, well, whatever you want, just get me out of jail. And he said, you can't steal anything. Can you commit to that? I said, I won't steal anything. And he said, can you oh, not have knowledge of any of these other things that other people are, are doing? You can't have knowledge of that. Meaning like if you find out somebody's done these things or they're doing these things, you have to help them own it. You have to help them telling themselves. Can you do that? I'm like, that's kind of like being a rat, dude. I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, just get me out of jail. Right. And then the last thing was don't have sex with anybody in the program. And uh, it was a treatment program and therapeutic community to be exact. I don't know if you guys know what a few TC is. Uh, it's like the beginning of like one of the first ones was like Synanon or Daytop. And they were all originally on the East coast, very like militaristic, very stringent and hardcore. Like you had to ask permission to turn the light on and off. You had to ask permission to write a letter. You had to ask permission to use the phone. Like I couldn't even touch a fucking telephone for the first six months because I was such a knucklehead. Anyway, you're supposed to be able to get all that stuff in four weeks. And like I was such an obstinate prick that I couldn't even follow directions to get the privileges. I was like, ah, so so he took me back and um, I walked in through these huge doors. It was like an old convent. And I walk in and I hear somebody call my name. And I turn around, it's this dude I used to be dope with. I was like, what the fuck? And he's like, dude, I heard you fucking died. I heard you killed your mother and killed your whole family. And then you killed yourself, bro. I heard And I was like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. I would never do it. He's like, nah, bro, I heard you fucking, you burned your house to the ground with your dead family in it. I'm like, oh my God, Jeff. 
He's a, I, and I, like I told him, I heard you went to San Quentin or whatever. I, was like, I heard you went to San Quentin. I heard everything locked you up in fucking city jail, and you were going for going to Quentin for killing somebody. And he's like, nah, bro, nah. And uh, we both disappeared into the street program. Mm-hmm. So we're in the street program. And uh, the first week, oh, six days in, six days, not even, I didn't even make it a fucking week. Six days in, I did something. They got me in so much trouble. They were ready to kick me out. <laughs> they stood me up at three in the morning in front of everybody. And everybody got a whack in the old tone. Now, everybody. I mean, all the ki- all the kids, all the uh, all the staff. They called the clinical coordinator. They came in, and they everybody just ripped into me and like really fucking tore me out a new one, which is what they do. And you just had to stand there at the front of the room in front of everybody, and then they ask you what's the proper response, and you would have to say, "Thank you." If you said anything else, they would continue the tirade, like and people like this close to your face. It's like. You know, the guy's a DI, like a drill instructor in the ring court, like screaming in your face. And the only thing you could say is, thank you. That's it. And so to get it to stop, <laughs> time out, time out, stop, you know. Um, and so I remember the, the other kids in this program, them leaving at my going somewhere on the bus. They would go and line up at the little window at the, the front of the building and get bus tokens to take the bus. And I go, where the fuck are you guys going? We're going to an AA meeting, bro. And I'm like, what the fuck is an AA meeting? So I knew nothing. I was zero, zilch, not a zip. I was in this treatment program. They weren't telling me about AA. This was something kids got to do if they were good. And so I, I thought, fuck, I want to go to an AA meeting. I want to get out of this treatment program. And so, like, I started, I asked some of them, will you take me with you? Will you take me with you? Yeah, we'll take you. So you had to, like, you know, have somebody shadow you. You know, they had to, like, Essentially, like you had to hold their pocket, like be with them all the time. Kind of like in jail, right? Like hold my pocket, go let go. Um, and so I went to these AA meetings and I started to hear people's stories and see how people were talking about alcohol, see how they were talking about the, the compulsion and the obsession to get loaded, see how, you know, all of the spiritual principles that they started to apply to their lives on a daily basis and how increasingly their 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 experience of life got better how the quality of life being in their, in their skin got better by working the 12 steps and 12 traditions, by working with others, by getting commitments, by doing 90 and 90, all the things you guys say in the beginning, you know? And uh, I heard all these things and I started to do them. So I said, you know, I want a sponsor. I'm going to get a sponsor. And so I went back to the, the treatment program and I asked my clinical caseload manager, I said, hey, can I get a sponsor? And they said, they said, you can't even fucking finish the paperwork I give you. How are you going to even get a sponsor? And you can't even use the phone yet, dumpski. Like, no, you don't get a sponsor. <laughs> so it became something that I had to work to get. It came, it became like a parent almost, right? And I remember too, like going back, because I after staying sober and, and graduating that program and, you know, working the steps, blah, blah, blah. I went back to that program as staff. And I worked with the kids in that program. I was, I was a, 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 what do they call those guys? Uh, I was just a, ca- a, a counselor, right? And um, and I remember going back and, and uh, talking to some of the staff members. And they said, they all said the same, they were un- unanimous. They were like, we didn't think you were going to stay sober. We thought you were going to leave like after a month. Like we put so much pressure on you. We thought you were going to blow out after a week, but 
Like we didn't, we, we took bets. <laughs> you thought you were going to make it. You weren't going to, I, I thought you weren't going to make it. You, you're a miracle. You have, you know what a miracle you are. And for some reason, for whatever, and it, I know it's not me. I know it's not me keeping me sober. It's, you know, my guy, you know, my dude upstairs, you know, sky daddy, whatever you want to call it, you know, the cosmic, uh, you know, whatever creator. That is what has saved my ass time and time again. Every fucking time I, I want to throw in the towel, do something, act out, make a bad decision, throw myself under the bus. My higher power is always like, no, not yet, buddy. You're not done. Nope. Get back. Let's go. Nope. Let's go. Come on. Wrap it up. Let's go. And I'm lucky. I'm lucky that because when I got here, what happened was when I started working the steps. Yeah, no problem. Step one, I can accept that. No problem. I'm a fuck up. I've been a fuck up my whole life. I fucking hate you. I fucking hate myself. I just want to die. That's why I fucking drink. That's how I drink. That's how I get down. Right. That's my whole fucking, you know, persona. That's what I want the world to believe that that that, that that's what I'm about. Right. But inside what I found out by working the steps, what I inside, what I really found out was there's a scared little boy that lives inside of me. Right. Or whatever you want to call it, the core. Right. What is the core? The core of my disease is rebelliousness. I get afraid and then I misbehave. That's it. That's my, I just described my whole alcoholism. I get afraid and then I misbehave. That's it. I act out because I got a feeling, you know, and that's extremely childish, but you know, that's my default when I'm in my disease, when I'm not living according to the spiritual programs of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, when I'm not living in the solution, when I'm not taking living in constant action, I get afraid and then I misbehave. That's the bottom line. Um, and so what the second, the second step, and this is why, why I bring this up. The second step talks about God. And I'm like, what? I didn't come here to fight God. Fuck God. I'm not about God. Fuck this God bullshit. This is dumb. Like I, I'm not, you know, I was raised Presbyterian by, I didn't, I, these people are fake. They go to, you know, they go to church, they drink, they eat donuts, they drink coffee, they backslap and out of boy and gold stars and high fives. And I'll come to buy the car dealership and do this, this, and this. And it's like this old boys club. Fuck that. I don't need that. Like, that's garbage. This is fake. It's for fake people. But what I found was in the book, and this even says in our literature, be quick to see where religious people are right. Okay. Okay. Why? What do I get? What do I get to gain from that? Well, I, whenever I look for when somebody's right, I'm looking for the similarities. That's where I need to be. I need to be looking for the similarities all the time. Not the differences. I can find the differences. It's so simple, easy for me to find the differences. I look at people all day long and I'm not like this person. They're not like me. I'm not like them. They're not like me. Blah, 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 blah. But when I look for the similarities, it's a win-win because I'm benefiting from what they know, from what they know to be true for themselves. I can apply that to myself. I can find solace and honesty and wisdom in anybody's you know, uh, spiritual path. I can look at it, I can see it in Islam, I can see it in Buddhism, I can see it in Christianity, I can see it in Jainism, I can see it all throughout, like, you know, human history. I can see it, it's there. So be quick to see where religious people are, right? Take what you want, which is another way of saying, take what you want and leave the rest, right? Like, I don't have to eat all of this God business in the second step wholesale, like all of it at once. Like, that's crazy. Um, and so in the third step, right, having found, like, my concept of a higher power, then I get to act in accordance with that and say, okay, please guide my thinking and behavior. Take, take my will in my life, guide me in my recovery, show me how to live, okay? Because clearly I have up to this point, haven't been doing a very good job of it, you know, landing myself in treatment, landing myself in juvie. And I, 
the, the, the thing I didn't say was that I got the, there were three high schools that I kicked, got kicked out of. The last one I just quit going to, but it was community school, and that was the school that was through juvenile hall, and that was for for kids that were headed for CYA that were going up to the California Youth Authority. So I wasn't hanging out with the winners. You know what I mean? At the end of my drinking, like I was not like I didn't get here on the wings of victory. So it would behoove me in the beginning to give up everything. Oh, you got to change everything. They used to tell me that all the time. It used to piss me off. Oh, don't worry, all you change everything. You know, like, okay, what the fuck does that mean? Oh, my ideas and concepts, right? We had to let go absolutely or the result was fucking nil. That's what it says. Well, we read, read, read this in every fucking meeting. And it, like, it took me forever to, to understand that. Oh, I have to let go absolutely. All of it. I have to turn it all over where the result is now. Nothing's going to change. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Um, I just finished the fourth and fifth step. So four and five, four is a chance for me to look at the contents of what's going on once I've done one, two, and three. So one, two, and three is I can't, he can't, I think I'll let him. And then four and five is let's look at what, what am I thinking and what am I doing? What is, What am I running on? Like, what's the fuel that I'm living my life according to? And nine times out of 10, it doesn't take long for my brain to get sticky. And what I mean by that is like most of the time, my brain is like a Teflon pan. It's like nonstick pan. Shit happens. And I'm like, yo, wow, shit happened. Cool. And then on to the next thing. No problem. I don't make it about me. It's not going to you know, piss me off. I don't think about it for the whole day. I don't think about it for a week. You know, and I know this is, this is how I know I need to do an inventory. One thing will happen. And I realize, okay, one thing happened. Cool. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm angry about it. Right. But then I think about it again the next day. And then I think about it the third day. And then I'm thinking about it every single day. And I'm thinking it while thinking about it while I'm going to the bathroom. And I'm thinking about it while I'm taking a shower. And I'm thinking about it while I'm riding my bike to work. And I'm thinking about it while I'm at, at work. I'm thinking about it when I'm riding my bike home. I'm thinking about it when I'm taking a shower. I'm thinking about it while I'm watching my favorite TV show. That's when I know, oh. You, my friend, have a resentment. <laughs> the disease of tripping. You know what I mean? So then I got to put pen to paper, write a 10 step or a fourth and fifth, do a fourth and fifth step with my sponsor. Um, and how I do my 10 steps are just really simple. At the top, I write God. The second part is I resent. And then I write all of my resentments. Bah, 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 I resent them, this, this one, that one, this one, this one, that one, this one, the cops, the taxi cab drivers, the mini drivers, blah, blah, blah. All, all the bullshit, right, that I resent, that I'm resentful about. The next paragraph is fear. I have fear that I'm going to, and this is going to happen, and blah, 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 all this stuff, right? I write all that down. And then at the end, I write a prayer of my choice. It could be third step, seventh step. You know, uh, I don't think I've ever did the St. Francis prayer, but like that would be a laborious, arduous task that I'm not really up to. I don't really want to write that motherfucker out. Okay, feel me? But um, I, I didn't come here to <laughs> transcribe. <laughs> but i'll do like a simple one you know like you know please take this over blah 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 i sign it my name and then i call somebody on the phone and i read it to them i say hey you want to hear my 10th step real quick i got a couple guys they text me uh one guy in particular every day he texts me his 10th step and he's not even my sponsee like he just likes to text it to me and i'm like he's he asked me can i send you my 10th step every day i'm like yeah i don't give a shit whatever but it's great because he gets he gets to be responsible to someone else to share his 10 step with. And then I get to read this stuff and I look at it, I'm like, wow, I need that too. I need to take a look at that, you know? Um, and so then uh four and five, right? So then I talked to my sponsor, I uh did my fifth step with him. 
And this last one was funny because uh, I think the main gist of this was um, practicing more patience, trying to be more non-reactive. These were like the spiritual opposite. So, so how I do my four steps are like, I write the resentment, person, place, or thing. I, I make a hit list, right? All the things I hate, I'm angry about it. Then the second column is what they did to me. The third column is what I did to them or what I did in, to cause this resentment or in retaliation to what they did to me, right? The next column after that is my character defect. And then the last column is the opposite of my character defect, like the spiritual uh, principle. So I keep the list because it's, it's what I need to work on, right? I ask God in six and seven, please remove my shortcomings. Please remove my defects of character. I'm, I'm doing six and seven. I have to meet him halfway by attempting to live in my spiritual opposites. And this time they were practicing more patience, trying to be more non-reactive, non um, knowing that there's enough time, that there's enough time for you and there's enough time for me. Like just intrinsically, right? In the experience of life, uh, that there's enough space for all of us in this world. There's enough space for me. There's a place for me to live, right? There's a place for you to live. Um, practicing loving kindness, practicing uh, being right-sized, uh, ride my bicycle in the bike lane unless there's glass or it's unsafe, right? Um, practicing patience. Patience came up a lot this time. Uh, giving others their space to share their kindness and, and being my, my thing is to be more polite, attempting to be more polite with others. Um, practicing forgiveness. Uh, Non-reactivity came up again. Uh, seeking to understand rather than be understood. So that was, and then sympathy, practicing more sympathy, being more caring. And this one's trippy because I have never been, I'm like, yeah, not to cross that out, but like, I am like the most not serious person ever. Like I get, it gets me in trouble. Like I kid at work. I kid at home with my partner. I kid all the time. Like I'm always joking. I'm like, don't, 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 ha, ha, ha. You know, everything's a fucking joke. And I'm just messing. I'm just messing. So this thing, this spiritual opposite is practicing some modicum of being serious. I am not by nature a serious person. I, I don't feel like. So this is something I can practice, right? Because I'm trying to meet God halfway to like, you know, have him remove my defects of character. So try to be more serious. Uh, being kind, um, practicing patience. Again, that's another uh, another time. It's three times it came up in this list. Being not judgmental, being more sensitive, more kind, and more loving. So those, those, those these always keep coming up. Um, and so, you know, in six and seven, I'm meeting God halfway by trying to live in my spiritual opposites, uh, eight and nine. And yeah, thank you for talking about eight, eight and nine is making that list. Right. So I, I briefly touched upon the fact that my mother had left me in jail. Um, and, and I, we didn't talk well into my 11th, 13th year of sobriety. Uh, and then, you know, as a result of me continually working one through 12, one through 12, one through, working the steps again and again, each year, house cleaning, house cleaning, and me changing, me changing, me, me doing the work. And, uh, I sounded like a Muppet. What the fuck? I'm all being like cookie monster, me changing, me changing, <laughs> but me doing, you know, I'm doing the work. I'm changing. I'm becoming who God wants me to become. Right. And eventually my mother comes around and she says to my, you know, some family members, a stepfather in particular, says, you know what, maybe, maybe I'd be okay with, with meeting him. And I got to do my eighth and ninth step with her. And I got to make amends to my mother. She always was at the top of my list. She was always at the top of my list. And um, I got my mom back. AA helped me get my mom back. So not only did AA take care of my alcohol problem, 
not only did AA take care of my career problem, I have a career today. AA took care of all of my relationship problems. AA took care of my mother, my the problem I had with my mother. And it's funny how like in long-term sobriety, as you stay longer, the sober longer over time, you start to see like there's certain things you're not willing to let go and give up to God. Like there's certain things that you get like really wrapped up and you're like, you know, I don't play fantasy football, but I imagine somebody somewhere is like really worried about their fucking bets and they're like, oh my, they're obsessing about it and it's making their life miserable and they refuse to turn it over to God and they're going to fucking self-will it until they're miserable behind it. And I would imagine that somebody somewhere, their sponsor is saying, you know, God took care of your alcohol problem, right? Yeah. And he took care of your housing problem, right? Yeah. yeah. He took care of your heroin problem if you had one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why are you not going to turn over your fucking fantasy football bullshit over to your higher power or your bank account or your house that you're trying to buy, whatever, or the kid that you're trying to have, you know, you, it, it, the more you turn over, the more freedom you have, right? <clears throat> and I trust in, intrinsically my higher power to take care. I'm exactly where the fuck I'm supposed to be at 30 years. Wherever you are, you're exactly where the fuck you're supposed to be, whether it's 30 days, 30 years. You know, anything in between, like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And it fucking sucks to hear that sometimes because stuff happens. Life shows up and shit gets hard and it's fucking tough to five live. Minutes. Five minutes. Copy that. It's tough to walk through that stuff, to navigate that stuff with a modicum of grace, with a modicum of solution, with a modicum of, you know, trying to be, you know, centered in your higher powers, you know, whatever your higher powers will for you is. Right. Um, and so then in, at making amends with my mom, I got my mom back. So we started hanging out. Blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to it. Um, and what I didn't say was that as a direct result of working on the 12 steps of alcoholics and others, I got, I found something that I was really good at and that I love to do, which was seeing in a fucking hardcore band. And I got to play all over fucking Europe, two European tours, uh, fuck them all over California for fucking 13 years with one band, for five years with another band. And then do another project with somebody else like recently, like it's, it's amazing. Like it, it gave me a life. Right. And, but I don't let, so like when Laura asked me, will you speak on a Saturday night uh, at 8, 8 PM? I immediately just said yes, because AA gave me my fucking, the life that I have today, everything in my life is a direct result of this fucking program. And so I don't let my life get in the way of my AA life. Like I let I'm, my AA life is number one. My relationship with my higher power should always be number one. The steps should always be number two. My sponsee should always be number three. Four should be my relationship, you know, and then, you know, work and everything else comes after that. Because if I don't maintain the number one with my higher power, number two with the steps and the traditions, like if I'm not living in that shit, then I'm fucked. Like I'm really, it becomes really uncomfortable to be me really fucking fast. This alcoholic. Um, and then real quick, uh, 10, 11, and 12. I know I kind of skipped over 8 and 9, but like, you know, it, it'll it make sense as you get there. 10, 11, and 12, for me, 10 is like a daily, like, what am I doing? What am I thinking? What can I do better tomorrow? Did I do anything? You know, just be in the moment. Be like, you know, try to be centered in what is, not what is not. Like, don't live in here. Like, I wouldn't go. Don't, I mean, if you're new, stay out of your fucking head. It's a bad, it's a bad neighborhood. Dude. Don't go in there alone, you know? Um, 11 is trying to practice some modicum of like communication with the universe. Uh, maybe for some of us, meditation could be sitting and staring at a candle. It could be, you know, close your, closing your eyes and breathing and observing your breath in and out. Um, it could be any, you know, anything your sponsor asks you or suggests you do. Uh, and it, you know, at, I, I'm convinced 
you know, now that, that when you're looking and when you're seeking for that, that relief outside of yourself, that's all that's important. It's not so much that you find something or that you are able to say this definitively, this thing is it, this person is it, this deity is it, this spiritual path is it. I think it's more important that we're seeking, you know, that we're looking actively outside ourselves for that, whatever that is, you know. So seeking, it's not so much in the finding, but it's in the, you know, I'm, I'm looking for something. Um, and then 12, having had a spiritual awakening, like I'm, I'm constantly having a spiritual awakening on, on my bike at work, like talking to people, engaged, like with others, like in my, in my daily life, like I'm, I'm trying to have a spiritual experience all the time, like, and really show love, give love because love was so freely given to me. Like when I moved to the Bay area, I'll say this and I'll shut up because it's almost time. Uh, when I, when I came here, when I got sober, when I, I got shipped to San Francisco to go to that drug treatment program 30 years ago, they loved me in a way that no one had ever loved me. And it was so tough, but so like, so bountiful, so pure and, and, and with so much understanding and getting sober in San Francisco is unlike, you know, I can't imagine getting sober anywhere else. Like, and it's funny because people will say like, what people come here to get fucking blasted out of their mind. Like the TL is rife with pills and crack and fucking this, this. And I'm like, no, nah, I, I moved here to get sober. <laughs> At 17, I never even got loaded to SF, baby. So it's a trip. It's a trip. And uh, if no one told you that they love you today, I love you. And I'm so glad that you're here. You're a miracle. You're a miracle. You deserve to be here. There's space for you here. And welcome home. Welcome home. And, I, and we love you. We're going to love you until you learn to love yourself. Period. <laughs>